This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby will be back tomorrow. She's just off for today. And later on during Fight Back, we will get reaction on Patrick Brown's latest decision to run for re-election as the mayor of Brampton. It seems as though he doesn't have a whole lot of options other than that at the moment. But again, we will get reaction from our expert strategists. For now, if you are 59 or under, you became eligible for a fourth shot of COVID vaccine this past Thursday. And we'd like to know, have you booked yours? Or if you're 60 and over, have you already received your fourth shot or second booster? And what did you make of Dr. Kieran Moore's messaging that if you're healthy and aged 18 to 59, you could wait for the new Omicron tailored shot in the fall? Phone lines are open, 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. Let's go now to our Zoomer squad to talk about this and other issues important to the 45 plus crowd. David Kravitz is chief membership officer at CARP and vice president at Zoomer Media. Bill Van Gorder is chief operating and chief policy officer at CARP. And John Wright is filling in for Peter Mugrich this week. John is executive vice president of Maru Public Opinion. Hello, squad. Hi, there. Hello to all. Hi, Jane. We've got David on the phone and Bill and John, uh, or sorry, David in studio and Bill and John on the phone. Well, let me just say that uh, first, as a 56-year-old person about to be 47 in the province, 57, <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was 56 so turning 47. <laughs> um, I've booked an appointment at one of the City of Toronto clinics tomorrow to get my fourth shot. I consider myself to be healthy, but I work with other people here at the Zoomerplex, so I want to pre- protect myself and my colleagues, not to mention my husband, who got his fourth shot in April. So let's go around the table. David, your mm-hmm. thought on fourth shots. I think it's important to get it. I've got mine, and I urge everybody to uh, get it. Uh, as soon as they can. And do you remember the length of time between your third and fourth shots? I only got my fourth shot uh, a couple weeks ago, so it was several months. It was like we waited till we were eligible. Right. Uh, John, what about you? I got mine done about uh, three months ago, Mm -hmm. and I guess the only debate in our family now is for those who did get it back in June, whether they want to wait for the new tailored one that may be a little more effective when it comes up because you're reading out about all of the different variants and whether they're going to have some impact or not. But I'm, I'm fully vaxxed uh, with four doses, uh, four doses already. And Bill, uh, you, you're chatting with us from Nova Scotia, so the timelines are a little bit different than here in Ontario, but you have your fourth shot. Yes, I have my fourth shot. Our timelines are... Uh, similar, and I got it uh, happily uh, about a month and a half ago, and uh, now looking forward to hopefully uh, we'll get another one in the uh, fall to look after the new uh, variant, and my my wife is in that position. She's uh, trying to decide whether or not, now that she's eligible, whether or not she'll get the shot now or wait until uh, September when we hope to travel a little bit and maybe a little closer at that time. And that's, you know, that's one of the confusions for right. a lot of people. We're getting uh, different messages from different medical uh, uh, experts, and it makes it difficult to make the decision. I wonder what the strategy is with that, David, because it, Dr. Moore, our chief medical officer of health, made it quite clear if you get your fourth shot now, it's not like you have to wait for uh, longer come the fall for this new Omicron tailored shot. Why wouldn't you get it now? I can't think of why not. Yeah. I can't think of why not. But I but let's face it, the the they've been dancing around to be fair to the public health uh, authorities constantly changing knowledge about what's going on and the need to be clear and um, an institutional tradition in that profession, I would say, with 
deep respect of not necessarily knowing how to be the best communicators around because they haven't had to deal with this before. You just have to look at the fourth shot itself. Does it stop you from getting it? Does it mitigate the harmful effects if you do get it? What I'm hearing from expert after expert after expert now is it may not prevent anything, but if you do get it, it won't be as severe thanks to the vaccine. So mm -hmm. there's a whole new sort of switch in what the vaccines are supposed to do. And I'm not you know, blaming anybody for that. But if you're a layman on the receiving end of all of this constantly changing uh, stuff, uh, what are you supposed to do? And it's not clear at all. Well, let me put that out to our Zoomer radio listeners then. Uh, did you get your fourth shot or have you booked your fourth shot if you're 59 or under? And why? Or have you decided to wait to the fall and just coast with your third shot booster until this new Omicron specific uh, shot comes out come the fall? Numbers to call 416-360-0740 or 1-866-744-740. John, it was interesting too, Dr. Moore, as much as he was saying, if you're 18 to 59 and you're healthy, you can wait until the fall. But he also said in the same breath that you're good for six months after your third shot. Well, a lot of people in that upper age group got their third shot seven months ago. I'm not sure what to believe anymore, honestly. Um, we've all become, you know, um, students of medical officials who go out and say certain things. So, frankly, the people who made the, who manufactured all of these, um, these doses said that it's a lot less than seven months or six months. It's actually three months. So now I, you know, we, we expanded that time frame. Secondly, um, there is not only the B variant that's out there, but there's now, so now the C variant on its way, which in fact evades everything as far as I can see, you know, in reading about it, which means that whatever we would get that would help the B variant may be completely obsolete for the next variant. So I don't know whether I guess it's just a personal choice. You want to wait for the newest edition as opposed to something that may not be effective. On the other hand, they're trying to encourage to get as many people out to get vaccinated to have any kind of protection. I just think we're kind of in a no man's land right mm -hmm. now where we're caught in between different variants. And the question is whether or not it is worthwhile to wait a couple of months if you're safe. Uh, to do so and wait for the latest edition. And Bill, certainly all of the scientific evidence around the boosters, the third, the fourth shot, I mean, it is extremely safe. Uh, it's been approved all around the world, uh, be it Pfizer or Moderna. So, and if you don't have to wait longer come the fall, to me, it just seems like a no-brainer to get it now. Yeah, no, no question. It is safe. But one of the things we have to understand is, is, uh, this, you know, the fact that we keep getting new message, that's science. Science, uh, builds on what we know now and goes into the, the future. So it is going to, uh, change. And normally when we have a vaccine comes out, it can, it can be in, review for four or five years before it finally uh, hits the market. They're turning around the COVID vaccine so quickly that there's going to be uh, changes, and that's a, that's a good thing. We wouldn't want to be stuck with the very first one that uh, uh, came out. I think, as David said, uh, we're not getting good messaging and good communicating, explaining how science is doing its work mm -hmm. and giving us the best we can have at the moment. And there are still some personal choices that we have to make because we don't don't know uh, the answers or what's going to happen a few months from now. So we shouldn't be blaming the, uh, the the messengers. We should be understanding science and then making the decisions on the best information that we have ourselves, which for most of us is we're going to take the shots when they're available to us. And in terms of a third shot take up uh, for the third booster or, or the third dose or the first booster, it's interesting, David, here in the city of Toronto, just two thirds of eligible residents 18 and older have received their third shot. And those have been available to the vast majority of us since late last year. So the uptake was much stronger on the first two than even the third. So talking about the fourth, maybe, maybe that's why Dr. Moore is downplaying it because he wants everybody to make sure they have their third shot. At least have the third. Yeah. yeah, I think, but I think that's to be expected. I think that as we become more familiar with it, uh, we get more tired of it. We get more 
I won't say complacent, but um, we hear of many more people who have gotten it and recovered, gotten it, and it, it just starts to slip into the normal um, scheme of things. We're two years plus into this now. And so the initial shock of this never happened before, it's a crisis, it's emergency, jab my arm right away, I don't care what it is now becomes, well, you know, I heard of this guy that didn't get it and he's fine. And I heard of this other guy that did get it, but then they got COVID anyway with the vaccine. And so you those anecdotal experiential things start piling up and you begin to take it in your stride. I just think it's human nature. Well, one of the reasons why you might want to get a fourth shot, and by the way, it's the Zoomer squad here on Fight Back. Jane for Libby, along with David Kravitz, you just heard there, as well as Bill Van Gorder and John Wright. Good reason to get a fourth shot is if you have a loved one in long-term care. So we learned yesterday new COVID outbreaks more than doubled in Ontario long-term care homes in the first week of July, as we are now in a seventh wave of COVID with the BA5 Omicron subvariant, the dominant strain. Here are the most recent numbers. There were 42 new outbreaks recorded in the sector during the week of July 3rd to the 9th. What does that mean? That is an increase of 110% from the previous week's 20 new reported outbreaks. Bill, there is a thought that the efficacy of fourth shots that the long-term care residents received much earlier in the year is starting to wane. That uh, that could be. We don't. And, you know, one of the problems with the, the numbers is, and, and these announcements they make is an outbreak is considered one case in a long term care home. That's all it takes to, right. be, to, to be called an outbreak. Oh. And we don't and we don't know uh, unless you dig down in the numbers exactly what the, the numbers are. They're not that uh, high. And, and it's the province hiding behind the fact that. Uh, they uh, got rid of the rules that require visitors uh, to be vaccinated when they came into the home, which seems like uh, like a very uh, wrong thing to do at, at, at this point. If we're encouraging everyone to be vaccinated when they visit their loved ones in long-term care, why aren't we mandating that? Yes. And John, I'm sure in terms of public opinion, if you have somebody in long-term care, a vulnerable older person that you're visiting, wouldn't you want to make sure you are as protected as possible so that your loved one won't contract the virus even after four shots? You can to make sure that they're fine. That even means taking rapid testing if you're even going to sniffle um, before you go in. I mean, there's 757 residents and 383 staff who are currently involved in some kind of COVID infection uh, throughout the province in these homes. So that's, you know, that's over a thousand people right now. And the, the, the real issue then is how do you isolate? How do you treat? How do you make sure that there is some containment? My, my sense though, and maybe you can answer this, was that each individual um, each individual outlet can make their own decisions as to how they actually monitor it. I mean, they can decide whether everybody is doing certain protocols when they come in or not. So I would think that given the circumstances, not only in those homes or others, the local um, uh, homes uh, and the management there should be taking every precaution that they can during this time. Does it go against everything we've been thinking about long-term care over the last two years, David, that basically all of the mandates except masking have been dropped in nursing homes? No, I think the problem here, and I'm going to be a real critic of these numbers, is that once again, the public health authorities have set no context with which to evaluate this, because what we're hearing about the fourth vaccine now is that it's going to reduce the the impact of COVID if you get COVID. What are we trying to do? We're trying to save lives. Step two, trying to avoid people going into a hospital to be treated. If you if you test positive for COVID but the symptoms are mild, should we be freaking out or not? We don't know from these numbers. Now let's put this in perspective. Seven hundred and fifty seven cases. Okay, the doubling, the 100% is from 20 to 40. Okay, Mm -hmm. there's 78,000 residents in 627 nursing homes in Ontario. That means the number of residents that have tested positive for COVID is nine tenths of 1%. What if all of them are being treated successfully in the nursing home and just feeling lousy? 
I'm not saying that's true. Point is, they're not telling us. How many of them had to be rushed into a hospital? How many of them have died? How many of them need very serious treatment? Or could we be saying of all of them, I don't know, I'm just asking, thank God for the vaccine because they've all got, they all tested positive, but it was all fairly mild and it was all easily contained in the nursing home. The numbers don't tell us that. So without any context, you get this kind of unfocused alarmism which we don't know whether it's justified or not. It's a it's a shambles of information. Well, frankly. we we do have uh, COVID related death numbers from Public Health Ontario. Right, right. What we do know is in a two week period ending July 9th, forty four people eighty and older died after contracting okay, COVID. Okay. The province has reported 65 deaths from COVID in total over that period. So basically, two-thirds of the deaths in that two-week period ending July 9th were people 80-plus. And how many were in nursing so, homes? Well, that's what we don't know. Right. So what I'm trying—I'm not yes. saying— Oh, no, way, I know. I'm it's a great saying, conversation. I'm not yeah. saying stop worrying, everything's fine. Right. I'm saying that the way they present these numbers is so incomplete and so unfocused and so— detached from any strategy is the strategy to prevent deaths is the strategy to uh, to prevent getting infection in the first place that may be a losing strategy given the characteristics of these new strains that seem to spread like crazy no matter what you do maybe the reason for the vaccine is at least will stop you from dying if you get it and you know know. we can surmise because okay so we have those death numbers bill but we also know from recent uh, recent analysis, recent data, that the vast majority of people who are dying have either had one dose or two doses of vaccine or no vaccine. Right. So that's not going to be the people in long-term care, those 80-plusers who are dying with COVID. 83% that's- of whom have four doses. Right, right. Yeah, that's that's correct. But we also don't know... Uh, what the pre-existing health, the conditions that those people, yeah, what were what were their other uh, illnesses? Uh, was was this just the final straw that broke the camel's uh, back, or did they, you know, uh, did they die uh, uh, with COVID or of COVID? And, and uh, that's uh, we we don't know. David's right; it's it's very confusing mm-hmm. uh, the the numbers. And what worries me is that we're going to end up. Uh, uh, treating this as being just something normal that just uh, happens uh, uh, these days, and we're going to continue to see waves come come through. We're we're going to become uh, we're going to become less uh, concerned uh, about them, and uh, uh, hopefully that won't be true. As as John says, of the people who run the long term care homes, who actually have a final decision of what rules they're going to uh, uh, put in place in their in their own uh, in their own homes and that's the other totally unknown uh, factor at the moment are they doing the bare minimum or are they making sure that uh, uh, they're protecting their residents as best they can well bill that leads us into our final topic here with the zoomer squad on zoomer radio's fight back we remember the horrific stories that came out of ontario's long-term care sector during the first two waves of the pandemic and now, two years later, really there have been no major moves by either the provincial or federal governments. Liberal MP Hedy Fry is trying to change this. She is the longest-serving woman member of parliament, by the way. She introduced a private bill uh, last month, Bill C-295, that would amend Section 215 of the Criminal Code to specifically criminalize owners and managers of long-term care homes for failing to provide the necessaries of life to vulnerable adults. Her intention, she says, is to prevent the failures of long-term care during the pandemic from ever happening again. John, we'll start with you. Your thoughts on that effort? Well, I think it not only should apply to what's happened during the pandemic, but over the next decade, the increase of use of long-term care homes by residents is going to be very, very significant, and there's going to have to be a an expansion anyway. So building something like this in is, is a good thing. The only question I have is whether or not it is redundant in certain places. And I go back to you know, the fact that Peel Regional Police had played 11 counts uh, against Holland and Christian Holmes, Grace Manor during the pandemic after the military made its report. They, there were 11 counts of 
criminal uh, charges laid against the necessities, not being able to provide the necessities of life. So I guess if this is a federal uh, law, which then applies to all federally licensed caregivers or something along that, I guess that's all good for the, you know, as you can get. But I wonder whether or not some of this already exists and what it means is that the police and others should be following up on whatever complaints there are even today and laying charges if it's possible to. And, it, and clearly, uh, you know, it can be laid because it has taken place already. You think about this federal yeah. effort. Um, and, you know, Hetty Fry said her intention is to prevent the failures of long-term care ever happening again. COVID exposed a lot of vulnerabilities. Uh, as a physician herself, she said she always thought these people were being cared for properly. It exposed that there were holes in the safety net. The system was not up to the task. I mean, it's certainly admirable that this MP wants to do something about it. But what are your thoughts? Well, I think it is admirable. I think the intent is fine. But I would sound a note of caution on the law, another law, which is called the law of unintended consequences. And I think if you, um, unless you are very precise, unless you do a lot of training in what to identify, including training the cops and the prosecutors on you know, what to look for and wh- where does neglect become criminal neglect, mm-hmm. what is not cap- captured by the current laws. But if, if managers and operators of nursing homes are facing jail time, then you're going to see defensive measurements undertaken that I don't think are going to be good for that sector and for the residents in lots of other ways. You're going to see defensive steps being taken, uh, perhaps more restrictions on how many people they admit, uh, all kinds of, uh, if, if jail is the consequence, what if I, what if I'm trying my hardest and I just mess up? Now it's a crime, absent criminal intent. So I think she's opening a whole Pandora's box here. I'm not really sure that it's all going to work out the way she thinks. Uh, Bill, she says, Hetty Fry says that the Justice Minister, David Lametti, does not have any problem with the bill. And she answered positively when asked whether she believes the government is on board with the approach. It seems like this is something that NDP leader Jagmeet Singh would be on board with. Um, What do you think CARP members would think about this? Well, I think on the surface, they'd think that this was a good idea to have uh, uh, some uh, some law with uh, teeth in it. But they would also say, look, there are uh, there have already been rules in place in various provinces that weren't enforced. Inspections weren't done. How are we going to know? David pointed out very clearly that uh, uh, there were there were cases before that weren't uh, followed through. And that whole issue of the federal government getting involved in a health issue, which is uh, uh, which is a provincial issue, I think uh, I, I'm afraid our members would think this is lovely window dressing. It sounds good. It's coming from Hetty Fry, who everybody uh, respects Dr. Hetty Fry, uh, but frankly, uh, will it have any real effect in, in the long run? Uh, probably, uh, uh, probably not. And what we need to do is make sure that the current frontline inspections and enforcement gets uh, done uh, province by province before uh, the feds get in and start uh, uh, creating another whole line of thought and controversy. And on that note, Bill, just before we wrap up uh, with uh, the re-elected PC government in power at Queen's Park, are we hearing anything at all from the long-term ministry about making changes in the in the direction that Hetty Fry is also speaking of? We're not hearing anything yet, but we're asking the uh, questions and we're going to be putting as much pressure as CARP possibly can uh, for them to start taking action now. Uh, the, uh, the the premier in his campaign said he was going to be a do-it-get-it-done premier. Well, we're expecting him to get it done. We will leave it there. Bill, David, John, thank you all for your time this week. Thanks, Jane. Good to Thanks be with everyone. you. Thanks, Jane.
David Kravitz is chief membership officer at CARP and vice president at Zoomer Media. Bill Van Gorder is chief operating and chief policy officer at CARP. And John Wright, filling in for Peter Mugridge, is executive vice president of Maru Public Opinion, our Monday Zoomer squad. Jane for Libby and still to come, Patrick Brown has decided to run for re-election as Brampton's mayor. We'll discuss with our expert panel next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby is off today. Patrick Brown has registered to run for re-election as Brampton mayor. His team put out a release earlier this morning saying he would be making an announcement on the steps of Brampton City Hall at 1145. Prior to doing that, he put his nomination papers in. That would be a month and a day in advance of the deadline for filing nomination papers to run for a municipal election in this province. So are you surprised if you've been following along with the latest drama around Patrick Brown? He is in the process of appealing his disqualification in the federal conservative leadership race, but now uh, fully intends to run as Brampton's mayor. And if you live in Brampton, will you be voting for Patrick Brown? Or what are your thoughts on the whole Patrick Brown saga of late? Numbers to call. Phones are always open. 416 360 0740 or 1-866-740-4740. We are joined now on Fight Back by Aleem Kanji, principal of Aleem Kanji and Associates, a government relations firm in the GTA, as well as Christina Midas, vice president of Upstream Strategy Group and former PC MPP representing Scarborough Center. Hello to you both. Hey, good afternoon, Libby. Uh, Jane. It's that's okay. Aileen, we haven't talked in a long time. <laughs> it's been a minute. It's been a minute. <laughs> and it's Christiana, right? Christina or Christiana? I don't even know if she's there, Zeev. Christ- oh, hi there. It's Christina. Sorry. Christina, hi, hi. Yeah. <laughs> Christina, nice to be with you. <laughs> yes, nice to be with you as well. So let me ask you that, Aileen. Um, are, are you surprised by this decision? Well, look, you know, you mentioned at the outset, Jane, that uh, uh, Patrick is, is appealing the uh, uh, ruling and his disqualification from the race. Let's be clear here, though. Uh, there really is no recourse as set in the rules uh, in running for the leader of the progressive conservatives for Mr. Brown to, uh, to seek uh, recourse. He's doing this to clear his name. Uh, I don't think there's any, any doubt there. The same way he sought to clear his name four years ago uh, when uh, uh, he exited from the provincial uh, conservative leadership race. Let's make one thing clear. Patrick Brown has more lives than a cat. All right. And, and I, and I didn't think, I don't think this is a surprise that he's reentered the race uh, to uh, uh, continue on in his term for the next four years as the mayor of Brampton. Um, there are those that, that like him there. There are those that, that don't. There is, that is the same for, for many, many politicians. But the power of incumbency in municipal politics is, is, is very strong. And mm-hmm. I, I think he's got a great shot to win. He is by far, in my mind, I'll leave you with this singer. He is the most popular brown guy in, in Brampton right now. There's no question on that. <laughs> because it is a multicultural mosaic in Brampton, right? I think I can say that safely to your, your listeners. Uh, but yeah, I think, uh, that power of incumbency is going to propel him to uh, to victory in in ninety nine days. Christina, is this a consolation prize for Patrick Brown running for reelection in Brampton? When you look at his long term political aspirations that he may have, you know, I think that Patrick was always going to run for mayor of Brampton. I, when the membership numbers were coming in, he and his team knew that he did not have a path to victory, and so. I think he's happy right now because this was always the plan. He was always going to run for mayor. And I do agree that the appeal is not going to go anywhere. I think it's more ceremonial. He's trying to show his supporters that he is in the right and that he is fighting. But really, I think he's in a good place because this was his exit strategy out of the leadership race, but he clearly had no no chance at winning. 
And and you wonder what would have happened if he was not disqualified and was seriously in the running for the federal conservative leadership, Christina. Would he, I mean, he would have had till August 19th to declare whether he wanted to run for re-election. But how do you think things would have been in that scenario? I think that we would have seen him this, uh, come out and say that he is running for mayor. I think that this was always the plan. And from what I hear from those around him, he is happy in his decision right now and he's happy to be running. And uh, like, like we've already heard, he has great name recognition in Brampton. The ethnic communities are behind him a thousand percent. I don't think anyone has the ethnic communities behind them more than Patrick Brown. And so this is his wheelhouse. This is where he's comfortable. I think he has a very good chance at winning again. I think it's very, very difficult for anyone to try to t- take him down. And so this is where he was always meant to be. I think that running in the leadership right now was always about name recognition and maybe getting the opportunity to have a kick at the can four years down the road, eight years down the road, whenever we were choosing another leader. I, I do want to get your opinions on this as well. I know you're waiting on the phone, some of you, and the numbers to call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Um, you know, Aleem, he really is a likable guy. I mean, you can't, you, I mean, most of us, most people have just seen him on television or heard him on the radio here on uh, Zoomer Radio and on other radio stations, he comes across as as quite affable, and yet there always seems to be a lot of drama around him. Well, you can look look at it that way. I'll tell you one thing: um, this game of, of politics is always one uh, to use a sports analogy at the fifty yard line. And the thing Patrick Brown has going for him is that he is a middle of the road kind of guy, right? He will not take extreme views, and we've seen that. In other candidates, we've seen, you know, the blatant um, uh, display of, 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 of hatred and of racism, quite frankly, and populism that Pierre Polyev thinks is going to catapult him to, the be, to be the next prime minister of this country. Um, and there will be a lot of disenfranchised uh, folks that have taken a membership, 150,000 plus of them that have taken a membership for the Conservative Party of Canada uh, that are are um, are not going to vote for uh, for Pierre. Now he may win on the first ballot, but the one thing about Patrick that I don't think will will change is that, you know, he's he is that middle of the road kind of guy. He's very pragmatic in his in his approach. Uh, there are conservatives, perhaps some of Christina's former uh, colleagues, that would say he's not blue enough. He's not conservative enough. And I will say this: I, I believe the road to victory for this conservative uh, uh, government federally, the more they can pull to the center, the more they have a chance of forming government. The challenge, though, of course, is that it's not the general public that votes in a leadership race. It's people that have memberships, which are heavily, heavily infiltrated by those that have uh, uh, views that are on, on the far right. And that doesn't line up with Patrick's views. That's why he's not in the race uh, for uh, for conservative leader. Um, so we'll have to see what happens. But uh, you know, don't count this guy out. In terms of the future, I think Christina will agree. Um, his ambitions are, are strong. Uh, and it wouldn't surprise me if, if he tries this again. We saw Christine Elliott try, you know, three or four times right. to, to become premier. Mm-hmm. I would expect Patrick Brown to, to uh, try to continue his ambitions to either become prime minister of this country or premier of this province one day. Let me tell you, the road doesn't end in Brampton. It, it will continue for this guy. I, I think forward. you're right. I think so, too. Christina, your thoughts on that? I mean, I, I will say that out of everything you just said, I agree on one thing, that Patrick will run again, and he's a scrapper, and he always survives. I will strongly disagree with you on Pierre. I think Pierre has Canadians of all backgrounds backing him. I don't think that he's standing as a racist candidate by any mean shape, way, shape, or form. He definitely and like has I the said, Pat- standing Patrick, behind him, that's for sure. Well, let's stick, know, to, let's again, stick to Patrick Brown. <laughs> even on the truckers, I mean, we could go there, but let's stick to Patrick. Patrick never had a chance in this leadership, and that's why Patrick's not in the leadership anymore. He was always going to run for mayor, and Aaron tried to pull to the center federally, 
and it blew up in his face, and it didn't go well for the conservatives. Well, so is this? We'll see about that. The Tea Party the conservative uh, valley. The, so the Aleem, party. Aleem, let me ask you this: Then was yeah. it just a coming out party for Patrick Brown? This exercise running for the federal conservatives this time, just to let me introduce myself to the whole country. Was was that what that exercise was about? I, I don't think he did that to simply introduce himself. I think he did this to win, uh, and, and I believe he felt that he had the ability to expand the uh, conservative uh, base into places uh, that, that have not been uh, tapped before, into communities that have not been tapped before. And he's built a broad base in doing that. Um, I think he was doing this legitimately to win. I don't think it was for name recognition uh, to do this, uh, uh, this exercise in, in trying to become the next prime minister of this great country. Um, Pierre's views will speak for themselves Anyone listening to this show can go onto YouTube, go onto this Twitter, Twitter channel, and see the extreme ideologies that this man continues to promote. And and can he's unapologetically that, that, conservative. It's not extreme. All right, let's go to the phones. You two, sure. uh, and I'm speaking yeah, with we're... Aleem Kanji and Christina Midas. Numbers to call: four one six three six zero zero seven forty one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. Love the spirited discussion, Karen in Bolton. What would you like to add? Well, I just don't understand why Patrick Brown seems to be being persecuted. And I'm not sure this gentleman just spoke something about being not far right enough. I don't understand that. So could that be explained to me? If somebody has a point of view, I'd love it. Okay, Aleem, you're on. That's a great question. He is not far right enough for the conservative base. He is too moderate. He is too moderate for the conservative base. And and what the what the uh, the the caller uh, doesn't understand is that the conservative party has sought to to take this guy and to throw him out of the race. And, and that is not because of the amount of memberships that he's sold. That is not because of him bringing the party more to the center in finding a path to victory in forming the next government. That is only because his views are, are not conservative enough. You know, when he stands out and speaks out against Bill 21, against, uh, you know, the issues in, in Quebec and the wearing of, of a niqab, uh, of a hijab, and these sorts of things, a keep that uh, for that matter, and that these things should not uh, 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 not be allowed by that by a government to tell people what to wear. That doesn't sit well with conservatives, and that's why they've thrown him out of this race. That much is clear. And when Christina stands up and says unapologetically conservative, I think we need to look at ourselves and ask ourselves: Is Pierre Polyev the kind of guy we want running this country? Are we going down the path of Donald Trump? Are we going down the path? of a Tea Party, because that's what you're going to get if you choose Pierre Polyev to lead the Conservative Party and take this okay. this uh, party into Aleem, the next let me go to let me go to Bill in Toronto and then back to Christina. Bill, go ahead. You're on Fight Back. Well, first we were calling him a racist. Now we're comparing him to Trump. If he's a racist, he's married to a colored woman. Usually, uh, I think the Prime Minister wears blackface is, is, is more of a racist, but... Well, that, that's a fair op- uh, observation. A woman of color, Pierre Poliev, uh, that's who we're speaking about there. I wanted to keep it about Patrick Brown, but if you want to talk about the conservative race, that's fine as well. Christina, your thoughts? You know what? I will, I will stick to Patrick Brown, but I will say for everyone listening, if you're not aware of the situation, Aleem is fear-mongering to the umpteenth degree. And I just want to be clear that Patrick Brown was disqualified from the federal leadership race over an allegation that he breached federal financing laws. This has nothing to do with a litmus test on how conservative the man is. Mm -hmm. It has to do with breaking the law and the party protecting themselves over that. And now, whether or not that is true, we will find out in court if Patrick decides to take it that far. But he was not taken out because he is not conservative enough. We have Scott Atkinson in the parade, who is a similar of similar ilk. And that has nothing to do with it, Aleem. Pierre is doing well because he is speaking to the conservative base. And frankly, I think he has a great shot of winning the big race against Trudeau as well. And, and you're mongering and saying he's going to be a Trump. I mean, that sounds to me like someone that just doesn't want him to win because you don't have anything to back it up with. But Graham is disqualified over federal financing laws being breached. Right. And I'll, and there, so there's you that. There, just a sec, just a sec, Aleem. I want to ask you, because this is important too, this developed on the weekend. 
Four Brampton city councillors want the RCMP and the Ontario Attorney General to investigate Mayor Patrick Brown's financial dealings inside City Hall. There seems to be some questionings, questions around that. Um, an accusation that at least one man in Brown's inner circle who worked on his federal campaign worked for a firm that received more than $500,000 from City Hall. That is an allegation. So there are some issues, uh, ethical issues here around Patrick Brown that extend beyond the conservative leadership race. As you quite rightly put it, allegations, as Christina put it, uh, and as Christina put it, these will be dis- disproven in a court of law. Uh, let's let that play okay. out and, and, and allow the man due process to clear his own name, as he did provincially as well four years ago. And as many people said, uh, he was guilty of a whole bunch of wrongdoing. She still ran under the Conservative Party when uh, Patrick Brown was was uh, 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 the leader. I did not. Uh, of that, I did not. I ran. I, I came in when Doug Ford was the leader. Just to, for the Fair record. Enough. And you're not in politics anymore. So there's that too. So anyhow, you know, Patrick Brown will have the opportunity to clear his own name for these allegations. Uh, these are the same counselors, Jane, that you bring up uh, that sought to put in a unelected counselor uh, in place for. Right. Uh, bef- before the uh, councillor was elected provincially. And that was a legal battle that Patrick Brown won just last week. That's correct. Yes. And that, that, that is so, so that is, that is something completely against the Municipal Act uh, that can be done. You can't just handpick a councillor and, and put them in place just to have control of that councillor, as these five councillors were seeking to do in Brampton. That hasn't been told yet. That story will be told. Uh, they also sought to remove the city solicitor unilaterally all right uh, so so these things will be proven uh in in a, in a court of law and at the end of the day the people of Brampton are going to get their choice and, and get their yes. pick as to who they want to serve them as their counselors and as their mayor i'm willing to bet i said it four years ago being on this show don't count this man out uh when he was ousted uh, provincially he will turn up again and uh there we have it he was the mayor of Brampton, and i'll say it right now he will be reelected as the mayor of Brampton in 99 days. Okay, let's quickly go through our our remaining callers here, and then I'll get final comments from you both. Phil in Oakville, go ahead. You're on Zoomer Radio. Well, I uh, I've been listening a little bit to uh, what uh, the comments about Pierre being so far to the right, and I, I would like to point out that in the last 50 years, we've been driven inexorably to the left so far that the center is no longer defined properly. And that uh, Patrick Brown, uh, as I heard him state last week, he was the only one that could win the election because Pierre was so far to the right. But I think that Pierre actually, and uh, unfortunately the name Donald Trump came up, uh, a person who actually did point out how far the left had driven us. And uh, unfortunately the right has been asleep, I think, for the last 50 years. And now the center is being redefined. Okay. And the left doesn't like it. Okay, Phil in Oakville, thank you. Let's go to Tom in Mississauga. You're on the air. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't like when the left brings up saying racism. I think the left are racist. You look at Trudeau. How did, how did his family manage to be in this country for 300 years? And all they did was marry within English and French people, right? Where my background is, my dad's Croatian, my mother's English, my wife's from Ecuador, my daughter's uh, common-law husband is from Portugal. Boy, uh, Trudeau, he's so full of it. He's the one who's racist. And, and to call people like uh, the conservative guy running Polyev uh, a racist, that, that's, that's just a cheap shot when you, you, you call people who are the right side. If you look in history, the people who are the leftists, go back. I don't, you probably don't want well, we don't want people to go back from where they came from. You kind of lose people when you go down that path. Bernie in Mississauga, go ahead. You are on Zoomer Radio. Bernie, I'm Mississauga. I'm sorry, Jane. Uh, yeah. I think Brown, uh, he'll re- re-elect as mayor of uh, and he'd be shafted twice by the Conservative Party. If you get Mayor of Brenton, you should really consider switching parties. And I think he'd be a great asset to the NDP in Mississauga and Brenton, where he should decide to change that party. I think he's not welcome. The ideologues and the Conservatives don't want him. They don't want his philosophy. But there's somewhere I'm looking at it from a distance, and I think he got the, the raw deal twice from the Conservatives. All right. All right, Bernie. Thank you. What about that, uh, Christina, on your final comments? Uh, is it time for Patrick Brown uh, to think about once he, if he gets reelected as Brampton mayor, switching federal parties? 
I, I think that Patrick would tell you no. You know, on Patrick, I'm just going to reiterate and close it on him by saying he's doing what he was going to do all along again. He was always going to run for mayor. He did not have any chance at the federal leadership. He's happy, and I believe he has a great chance at that. And on Pierre, my closing statement would be, Pierre is the establishment choice. And we have people like Aleem and the left fear-mongering and trying to scare people. But Pierre Polyev is a steady man with experience that's going to lead this country for all Canadians. And I believe he will be our next prime minister and a great one of that. Okay, Aleem, your final comments. Aleem and the left. I, I love I love this. It's just uh, Christina knows where I stand on, on anything. To make that accusation is preposterous. Uh, and that's probably why Christina is not serving in politics anymore. That aside, Pierre Polyev will be the worst prime minister this country has ever, ever seen. He is pulling populism. He is pulling racism. And he is, he is pulling the things that divide us as Canadians more than unite us. Uh, his, his views on Bill 21 alone, his views of standing with truckers and his views by, uh, illustrated by your callers today talk about, uh, why this man is, is going to be pulling this country apart. And in fact, I would agree. And I actually, I would say that the chances of, of Patrick Brown running for the NDP or the Liberal are, are negative. They're not even close to zero. They're negative. But the chances of, of Pierre Polyev pulling and, and forming a Tea Party-like movement of extreme right conservatives, I think the appetite in this country is there for people like that to support Pierre Polyev. And that tells you all you need to know about the discourse of conservative politics in our country today. We will leave it there. I thank you both very much for your time, and I look forward to next time. Thank you. <laughs> Aleem Kanji, principal of the government relations firm Aleem Kanji and & Associates, and Christina Midas, vice president of Upstream Strategy Group and a former PC MPP for Scarborough Centre. It's Jane for Libby, and... Do you have a birthday coming up? Don't forget to renew your license plates. We will discuss that next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. You don't have to pay the fee to renew your license plate anymore, but you still need to renew your license plate. And because Ontario vehicle owners are no longer receiving a notice in the mail as a reminder to renew, people are forgetting to do this. And in some cases have been issued $500 fines when caught. OPP Sergeant Carrie Schmidt joins us now on Fight Back. Sergeant Schmidt, always nice to have you here. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Well, how big of a problem has this become? Well, it's funny because I actually was talking to some officers just a a few weeks ago, and they're saying they are pulling over and stopping vehicles for moving violations and so on. And when they run the vehicle's registration or their driver's license, they're coming back with far more expired or unregistered vehicles and driver's licenses than they've ever had before. And they're trying to figure out why. And, and I think it's because people are just assuming that the, uh, the free renewal uh, price is uh, no longer effective. But the, uh, the fact is you still need to go and register your vehicle uh, if you're in that uh, personal vehicles like commercial trucks motorcycles or mopeds, uh, you, you're not getting those uh, you know, yearly or bi-yearly reminders that right. you used to. Do you think, Sergeant Smith, that that is just, I mean, there's been um, a lack of communication or reminder messaging around that? And I guess that's why you've come out to tell everybody, hey, listen, if you've just had a birthday or you're about to have a birthday, go online yeah. and, and renew. That's exactly it. Like the information that they, they, you know what? I think when the original message came out, we all got that message, but the only thing people heard was it's free. (laughs) Right. And they they kind of forgot the thing that you still need to register uh, online Uh, or you can still go in person and do it. uh, But I think uh, as soon as they heard zero dollars and that was it for them and and they were off to the races and, uh, and beyond that, they never thought about it again. But uh, you, you, you won't be putting those stickers on your license plates, but you still need to have your vehicle registered and updated there every year or two years. There are a few exceptions. So if you're over 70 years old uh, um, for driver's licenses or if you have to write a test to uh, maintain your driver's license, 
uh, that uh, will still come in the mail. Uh, if you ho- if you own or drive a, a heavy duty truck or jointly owned, you will still get those mess those email or those uh, mailed in reminders. But for the bulk majority of all of us that are driving around with a, a regular passenger vehicle and have a G class license, uh, for the most part, you know you're not going to get that reminder. But if you just go to Ontario.ca or go on that link that I posted on my little uh, tweet or Facebook page, uh, all the information is there. And you can sign up for email, text messages, or, or phone message uh, reminders that will come to you uh, you know, before the expiration of your next driver's license or validation sticker for your car. Right. I put a link on our webpage as well, zoomerradio.ca. It's just basically if you Google Service Ontario, it'll take you right there. And yeah. um, I just want to go to the phones here quickly. Mike in Clearview has a question or a comment. Mike, go ahead. Well, yes, I do have a question and a comment, but first I'll tell you, I got my fourth shot today and I was in and out in no time as opposed to the last time, which took two hours. Okay, now, congratulations. Right. Now, back to the, the license thing. I renewed my sticker about three or four months ago and I went into Service Ontario to do it and they printed out the form and the form actually has the old expired date on it, right? And so the lady at the Service Ontario wrote in, in her handwriting, the new date. Is that legitimate? Sergeant Schmidt. As, as long as it's been renewed, uh, we're not seeing the paperwork. We're going to just run it on our system. So as long as it's renewed through the red, through the the uh, the MTO, we're we're not looking for you to surrender any proof of renewal because we will see that right. when the vehicle is registered or is is queried through our system. Now okay. again, the charge. I don't know about this five hundred dollar ticket that someone got. It's an eighty five dollar fine. Uh, it's up to one hundred ten dollars with the victim surcharge and so on. That's the uh, Highway Traffic Act, the Ontario uh, fine for not ha- driving with the uh, a permit or currently validated permit. Uh, and so, and that's the possible consequence. But again, the officers have that discretion as well. And there's been a lot of education and reminders. And hopefully this will get people aware of that. To, just to go online, all you need is your license plate number, your vehicle permit mm-hmm. number, which is there's a number on that green registration. You'll need your mileage, your, your maybe your insurance and, and a few details. If you have any outstanding parking tickets or four or seven tolls, you got to pay that too. But otherwise, uh, there's no charge for the renewal of your vehicle registration. In anticipation of our conversation today, and I, I renewed my license plate a few months back, I, then I got thinking, what about my driver's license and my health card? Uh, and, and those actually don't expire for me personally for a couple of years. But you're also not getting renewal uh, reminders about those as well, right? That's correct. Yeah. The same thing goes for your driver's license or health card. You look at the expiration date on those documents and go on to Service Ontario, Ontario.ca. You can find the renewals. Now, you do still need to pay a, 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 a price for the registration renewal of your driver's license. But again, you can do that all online, but you will not get that reminder in the mail. Uh, again, un- if, you, if you're over 70, you will. So happy birthday to all the 70-year-olds uh, turning turn over. And, uh, and if you have a, a commercial driver's license, an A, B, C, D, E, or F, uh, you will get those uh, mail reminders because there's obligations for vision and written tests and, and, and sure. other obligations that you may need to uh, satisfy before you can register or renew your driver's license. OPP, Sergeant Kerry Schmidt. Go online. Yeah, go online to Service Ontario or Ontario.ca. Thank you very much for the public service reminder. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day. OPP Sergeant Carrie Schmidt. Jane for Libby. She is back tomorrow. In the meantime, stay with us. The number one's at one coming up next after Jeremy Logan's news. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.